month, Le'ili Nishmas Shmuli's father, Haraf Paras Avram, Ben Rab Binyamin Moshe Zichron Levracha. To thank our week of learning sponsors, Ira and Miriam Grossman, in honor of their 50th wedding anniversary, and Adam and Leslie Rosen for Rafur Shalema for Esther Bas Sora. We hope that in the marriage of our Talmud Torah, all of those who require a Rafur should have one with Kol Chole Yisrael, all of the Neshama Shav and Aliyah, and the families in Nechama. But with that, let us begin with a beautiful, beautiful daf ahead of us today, a really very interesting daf. We, today's daf is Kuf Hey 105, and we are picking up on the bottom of Kuf Talad Ahmed Bey's 104B. Two lines are from the bottom. Umi Amar Rabbi Akiva Rekika Lapasla. So what says, remember again, remember from yesterday's Mishnah, we have established that there are three essential parts to the Chalitza process. There's what we call the Kriya, the recitation of Psukim, which again, we have not seen that explicitly scripted in the Mishnah yet, but we know it exists. So recitation of the Psukim, both by the man, the Yavam, as well as the Yavama. We have what we call the Rekik, or I'll call the Chalitza, the removal of the shoe and the rekika, the spitting. So in yesterday's daf, we were focused on what are the essential parts of the process. Essential as defined without which the process would be invalid. So it appears that everyone is going to agree that the chalitza, the removal of the shoe is an absolute necessity. It also appears that everyone agrees that the kriya, the recitation of the psukim, can, is not an absolute necessity. The machlokis was the rikiko, the spitting. So Rabbi says, so for that we had a machlokis, Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Elazar in the Mishnah. Rabbi Elazar seemed to indicate that rikiko, well, didn't he? He said, if there's no rikiko, ultimately the chalitza is invalid. And Rabbi Akiva said the chalitza will still be kosher. So Rabbi says, now we're, we're focusing on that piece. Rabbi so, that Rabbi Akiva really hold that Allah Chalamaisa, if you don't have rikika, if you don't have spitting, that the chalitza is still okay. In other words, it's not invalid. Vatanya, we learned, chalitza, velo, top of kofhe, velo, rakaka, velo, kara. If a, if a woman did chalitza, she removed the shoe. Velo, rakaka, she didn't spit, nor did she read the psukim. Chalitza, sekshera. Ultimately, again, her chalitza is kasher. Rakika, velo, chalitza, velo, kara. If she spit, if she spit, but she did not remove the shoe, nor did she read the psukim, ultimately the chalitza's puzzle. Kara, velo rakika, velo chalitza, in kan beis michosh. So I will say this last, so again, let's go through these. Case number one is where she removed the shoe, did not spit, did not read the psukim, the chalitza's kosher. Okay? okay, so again, all you did over here is remove the shoe. Case number two, you spit, you didn't remove the shoe, you didn't say the psukim, ultimately chalitza's puzzle. Case number three is, you read the psukim, you didn't spit, you didn't remove the shoe, ein kan beis mechush. Rabbi said, what does it mean, ein kan beis mechush? There's nothing even to talk about. Right? There's nothing even to be concerned about. Now look at Rashi for just a moment. Rashi says over here, Remember in yesterday's daf, we saw that there's different levels. On one hand, again, through certain processes, you could accomplish yibum, but sometimes, I'm sorry, chalitza, but even sometimes when chalitza is not accomplished, nevertheless, what have you accomplished? You've precluded the possibility or closed the door on yibum. What the Bryson now is here saying over here is that in the case, where all you did was read the psukim, right? But you didn't spit, you didn't remove the shoe, 
there's not even a shayla. In other words, if, if you changed your mind and then wanted to do yibum afterwards, that's still fine. In the previous cases, as much as, or I should say, in case number two, in case number two, rakika, below chaltsa, below kara, where you spit, you spit, you didn't remove the shoe, you did not go ahead and read the psukim. What did the, the Braises say? Chalitza psula. Right? The chalitza is not good. Now, what does it mean? Saying, but when we say the chalitza is not good, nevertheless, what? Chalitza is not good, but what? Can't do yibum. Can't do yibum. So the Gemara says over here, money. Whose opinion is this? So we'll say that, that's really the case where we're intrigued by. Where I spit, well, now I spit. Right? The woman spit. She didn't remove the shoe. She didn't do the psukim. So the chalitza is not going to be good. It's a chalitza psula. But as Rashi points out over here, top Rashi, salta ala achin. But I will say, what is spitting good enough to accomplish? What does spitting accomplish? What does spitting accomplish? Right? It goes ahead and it closes the door on chalitza. So whose opinion is this? Money. Anyibum. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Close the door on yibum. Thank you. So money. Whose opinion is this? Ilema Rabbi Eliezer. If you say it's Rabbi Eliezer, chalitza v'lo rakaka. Can't be Rabbi Elazar. Why? Because Rabbi Elazar will say, because remember, look at the case in the Mishnah where we had, or look at the case in this Braisa. She removed the shoe. She didn't spit. And she didn't read. So what did the Braisa say? So Rabbi will say, that can't be Rabbi Eliezer. Why? Rabbi Eliezer, remember again, Rabbi Eliezer in our Mishnah held that halacha lamaisa, the absence of rikika, the absence of spitting, invalidates the chalitza. So Rabbi says, so remember again, because why? Because Rabbi Eliezer, this is the top of kof dalad amud beis. What did Rabbi Eliezer say? So say it's, again, in our version of the Mishnah, it's Rabbi Lazar, the Bach changes it to Rabbi Eliezer. So remember again, what was Rabbi Eliezer's drasha? He says, kacha yasa. Whatever is a maisa, whatever is an action, is an indispensable part of the chalitza process. So now I both say, out of the three parts of chalitza, which parts, which part, which parts are actional? Which parts are actional? The chalitza and the rikika. So according to Rabbi Eliezer, the right, the most you could dispense with is what? Kriya. Kriya. The psukim. So I will say, the bracelet that we just read over here said, rakika, below, right, rakika, I'm sorry. Chalitza, the low rakika, the low kara, chalitza sekshera. Right? Our Bryce had just said if she removed the shoe, she didn't spit, she didn't read the psukim, the chalitza's kasher. That can't be Rabbi Eliezer. Because Rabbi Eliezer holds anything actional must be done, which means again, you must remove the shoe, you must spit. The most you could be missing is the kriya. All right? So the Gemara says, Alapshit Rabbi Akiva. So it must be that this Bryce, reflects the view of Rabbi Akiva, where here's the problem. V'katoni rakika v'lo chaltza v'lo kara chalitza sapsula. Rabbi says, let's analyze this. Okay, so now we've removed Rabbi Eliezer, right? Because according to Rabbi Eliezer, in order to have proper chalitza, like Rabbi said, let's nail this down. According to Rabbi Eliezer, in order to have proper chalitza, what do you need? What do you need? Chalitza rakika. Good. Rabbi Eliezer on the side. The Ar Braisa brought down a case of chaltza, move the shoe, Lo rakika, velo kara. So all you did was removal of the shoe, no spitting, no kriya, yet the Braisa said that the chalitza works. So it can't be Rabbi Eliezer. 
If it's not going to be Rabbi Eliezer, it's Rabbi Akiva. So let's analyze this. Because I will say, what about the following case? Rakika, if she spit, right? But she didn't remove the shoe, didn't read the psukim. Chalitza So the chalitza's puzzle. Then I will say, let's analyze that term. Leman. When we say the chalitza's puzzle, what does that mean? If you want to say ultimately again, la'alma. But so what does la'alma mean? That she's not yet fit to marry into the general population. Subshita. That, that's obvious. Because if all she did, all she did was she spit, right? But she did not do the chalitza. She did not remove the shoe. And she did not read the psukim. There is no one in the world who holds that that is a proper chalitza. So when we say chalitza sa psula, psula, so if you tell me that that means that she's still bound to the brothers and she's not permitted to marry into the general population, that's obvious. That's obvious. So pshita, mi hadi chalitza deshtayi la'alma, ela, watch this, ela lav la'achin. Rather, I will say, rather what it means, psula, this is incredible. What does psula mean? What does psula mean? Psula means that if she spit, but didn't do chalitza, didn't read the psukim, psula, to do yibum to the brothers. That's what psula means. That's what psula means. And I'm going to say, what do you see from here? What do you see from here? That spitting does have an impact. Spitting does have an impact. But interestingly enough, the impact of spitting is not to affect yib, not to affect chalitza, but rather what? To close the door on yibum. To close it on Yibum, to which the Gemara says, Shmamina, indeed, Siyabosai, that even according to Rabbi Akiva, and I will say this is really very interesting, even according to Rabbi Akiva, who holds that spitting is not, sorry, who holds that spitting is not an integral part of the Chalitza process, will hold that once the Yavama spits, that is enough of an indication to close the door on Yibum. I will say, so again, I mentioned this in yesterday's death also. We've seen this a number of times already, that sometimes even part of a process is enough to signal that the Yibum ship has sailed, right? There's no longer going to be any Yibum, even though halach halamaisa, you have not affected Chalitza. So we'll say this is actually quite fascinating. So therefore, here, here's what we have. So if we kind of fine-tune the Shittas a little bit, we've got Rabbi Eliezer. And I will say Rabbi Eliezer is a, is a much simpler Shittah. What's Rabbi Eliezer's Shittah? Kacha Yehoseh. And what does Kacha Yehoseh teach me? Anything that's a Maisa, is an indispensable part of the Ibn process. The most you could be lacking and still have a proper chalitza is Kriya. Kriya, need chalitza, need rakika, fine. Rabbi Akiva is a little bit different because what we saw, we saw again, we saw again on top of Koftal Rambez, Rabbi Akiva Shita himself is he holds, yeah, kacha yehaseh, but rather it says kacha yehaseh leish. So he says anything that's a maisa by the man is an indispensable necessity, which really means what? The only part that's really done to the man is what? Is the actual shoe, the chalitza. So according to Rabbi Akiva, it's the chalitza itself that's an indispensable necessity. But even Rabbi Akiva holds that really all you need is chalitza will agree that once rakika is done, as much as that does not affect chalitza, it does preclude any further possibility of vibam. Incredible. To which the Gemara says, Ul Rabbi Akiva, Maishna rakika, Umaishna Kriya, but according to Rabbi Akiva, 
silence there. What's the distinction between Rikika and Kriya? Then I will say, now what, what does that mean practically? Look at Rashi. Maishna Rikika, the Paslas. What do we just establish? According to Rabbi Akiva, once she spits, I will say, what's the effect of spitting? According to Rabbi Akiva, what's the effect of spitting? Right? No more Yibam. No more Yibam. Pasles the brothers. Umashna Kriya, Rashi says, Delo Pasla, Diktani, Ein Beis Michush, that I will say, here's what's interesting. According to Rabbi Akiva, according to Rabbi Akiva, really, Rikika and Kriya should kind of be on the same level, right? Because according to Rabbi Akiva, the only thing that's an absolute indispensable necessity is what? Kacha ish, a maisa that's done to the man. The only maisa that's done to the man is what? Is what? Chalitza, the removal of the shoe. If that's the case, then halacha maisa. Rikika and Kriya should really be on the same level. Yet, what's the halacha? What, what's the, what does it seem? If she spits, if she spits, it sounds like what we're saying is now, no chalitza, but close the door to Yibam. They both say, what's the effect if she goes in and she starts reading the psukim of chalitza? <laughs> Nothing. In fact, the Bryce has said, like, they, nothing. It's, it's like learning chumash. Nothing. Nothing. To which the Gemara says, Maishna Kriya, Maishna Kriya. So the Gemara says, Maishna Rikiko, Maishna Kriya. See, here we go. So Bose says, the Gemara says, right across in Tulsus Rava. Pretty much right across in Tulsus Rava. On 105a, Kufiya Medalit. So Rabbi Yakiva, Maishna Rikiko, Maishna Kriya. Kriya di Ise, Bain Betchila, Bain Besof. Lo Michla Falei. So this is interesting. So Kriya, which is done in two parts of the Chalisa process. At the beginning and at the end. We're not concerned about any level of confusion. I'll say, take a look at Rashi just here for just a moment. Kriya, Bain Kodim Chalitza. So I'll say, so remember again, there's actually two reading parts, right, that's done as part of Chalitza. There's ultimately again Kodim Chalitza. Rashi says over here, Me'inyevami. So remember again, the way Chalitza starts is that the woman says, My brother in law does not want to marry me. My brother in law doesn't want to marry me. To which the Gemara says, Achar Chalitza, Kacha Yeoseh. Now we'll say, after Chalitza, there's another reading part where we say, this is what is done to a man who does not want to perform the Tzavibum. Because Kriya ultimately, again, is done before and after, there's no fear regarding any kind of confusion which could lead people to think that Chalitza could be done after Yibam, or that Yibam could be done after Chalitza. However, Rikika, Tibetchila Lasa, Ulabasov Isa, Rabbi when it comes to spitting, which ultimately does not occur before, but does occur after Isa, I'm sorry, Michlefale. We are worried about confusion. And that's why Rabbi Akiva ultimately again will say that once Rikika is done, that closes the door to Yibum, but Kriya will not close the door to Yibum. And ultimately, because that confusion could ultimately end up with people permitting a woman who has undergone Chalitza to go in and still marry their brothers. Others say in a different version. We'll say an alternate version of this. So therefore, we'll say, in this first version, in this first version, we have two things occurring. Number one, number one, Rabbi Akiva telling me that once the woman spits, even though spinning by itself does not affect Chalitza, it closes the door to Yubum. And I will say, based on this, we have Machogus Rabbi Eliezer and the Rabbana. I'm sorry, Rabbi Akiva. Koin Rabbi Eliezer, 
the indispensable parts of Rekika are any actional parts. Therefore, you have to have Chalitza, you have to have Rekika. If you don't have Kriya, you're still okay. According to Rabbi Akiva, all you need are the actional parts that deal with the man. So really, all you need is Chalitza. But as we just said before, even though all you need is Chalitza, if she just does Rekika, that puzzles her, invalidates her to the brothers, and Yibam is no longer possible. Again, why the distinction between Kriya and Rikiko, as we just explained. Ikidami, alternate version. Ikidami, halchu shalchulei, Yivama shirak, yagatachlots. So as we just said before, once a Yivama spits, once she, once she spits, ultimately again, Yibam is off the table, and therefore she must do Chalitza. The say, here's the interesting question. Now, what we've just established is that even according to Rabbi Akiva, once she spits, right, she can no longer do yibum and it must do chalitza. Rabbi say, here's the shayla. Here's the shayla. Does she have to spit again? She spit once. Does she have to spit again? So the Gemara says over here, once she spits, she doesn't have to spit a second time. Rabbi Ami. I will say there was this Maisa, right? There was a woman who came before Rabbi Ami. Rabbi Abba Bar Kame. So ultimately, Rabbi Abba Bar was sitting in front of Rabbi Ami. Rakika Mikame And what did she do? The woman who came to who came to Basin, she spit before she took off the Yavam Shu. So I will say we're going to see that the normal order is that there's Kriya, right? Psukim, right? Recitation. Removal of the shoe. Spitting. Second recitation. That's the normal process. Here in this case, this woman came to Basin. She spit. First thing she did was she spit before she went ahead and removed the shoe. Amad Rabbi Ami. Chalutzla. Vishar Rabbi Ami says, come on, get on with it. Right, go ahead, just remove the shoe and permit her to the world. Rashi says, Sharlatigra Kilomar. Just let, let, let's get this done. She spit already, remove the shoe, and let's move on. So we'll say, what do you see from here? What do you see from here? You see from here that once she spit, even though she spit not in the normal order, what's that? We're done. We're done. I'm going to be Abba, the Haba Inan Meruk. So the Gemara says, I, but we need her to spit. Rabbi Abba said, so Rabbi, said, what Rabbi Abba seemed to be saying was, don't you need her to spit in the actual context of Yib? And others will say, a woman shows up in Basin and she spits, and she spits, they will say, that's just spitting, right? Spitting is not always chalitz, right? That's just spitting. But Pashtos, Rabbi, I was saying, don't we need her to spit, like in the context of an actual maise chalitza? Fabian Amberak, Hasidigimar says, Harakika, she spit already, she spit already. I v'teru kumabakach, so I will say, Saddam says, Rabbi Abba, why don't you just have her spit again? I don't know what the big deal is over here. Right? It's true. She showed up in Basin. She spit. Now we're telling her, just remove the shoe and let's be done with this. Why not just have her spit again? What's, what's the big deal? Just remove the shoe, have her spit again, and that way we know again it's a lechatchila process. What's the problem? To which the Gemara says, So nothing minei churva. The boss is very interesting. Why? Because actually, there could be something negative come about if we ask her to spit again. What well, could be negative? We'll say, watch this. Because we'll say, if we tell her to spit again, Wow. say, what are we concerned about? Watch, we'll say, watch this for just a moment. Right? Woman shows up in Beisdin. First thing she gets to Beisdin, Shalom Aleichem. Right? That's it. She spits. She spits. That's the first thing. Now we tell her, remove the shoe, move on. So Rabbi Abbas says, spit again. 
What's the big deal? To which the Gemara says, no, why? If you make her spit again, Rabbi saying, what does that show about the first act of spitting? What? That it was meaningless. Now that's dangerous. Because is the first act of spitting meaningless? No. Because what does the first act of spitting accomplish? Shuts the door to Yibum. See, Rabbi saying, if you make her spit again and give the message that the first act of spitting was meaningless, so then in a case when a woman spits and then changes her mind, she comes to Basin, she spits. She says, you know what? I changed my mind. I want to go ahead and do Yibum. I want to do Yibum. See, Rabbi said, she's not allowed to do Yibum. But if you render the first act of spitting meaningless, you might have a case where women might think that even after spitting, or the basin might think that even after spitting, yibum is permitted. And on both sides, that's problematic. So therefore, in order to avoid that possibility, once she spits, done, check, check. Spitting accomplished. But one second. They will say, this is actually very interesting. Don't we require, in other words, they will say the process of yibum sorry, of Chalitza, is spelled out in the Torah. And there's an order, as we just said, recitation, shoe removal, spitting, recitation. There's a Seder. So don't you require Kisidron, to which the Gemara says, Kisidron la Ma'akva. Ultimately, the will say, no, that ultimately the order is not Ma'akev. Yes, there is an ideal order. And if a woman comes to Beisdin, the Yavim comes to Beisdin, we script for them how to do this process. But Lamaisa, if you went ahead and you did not follow the script, and you just did your own thing, under those circumstances, you will be permitted to go, it'll be fine. To which the Gemara says, So it is very interesting. So ultimately, again, Rabbi Abba thought, Rabbi Abba thought that Rabbi Ami was kind of just, sorry, um, right, Rabbi Abba thought that Rabbi Ami was just kind of deflecting him, wasn't taking his question seriously. So, Nafak, so Abba went there and what did he find? The sign we saw Braisa. Bain Shiktim Khalitza Rikika. Bain Shiktim Rikika Lachatsitsa. Masha Asa Asui. And he found the Braisa. Found the Braisa. We'll say, that tells him, teaches me what? Seder is not Ma'akev. So we'll say, again, I want to point out, I'm res- he- heavily resisting the temptation to do, to look at the Rambam each step of this, because it will say, because it is interesting, the Allah of this is fascinating, but I think what we're going to do instead is we'll look at the, we'll spend, we'll, when we finish this sugya, we'll look at the Rambam in its totality and see how all of these pieces fit together so beautifully. Now another very important part, which we kind of knew. We already knew this conclusion even before the Gemara got to it because the entire sugya is predicated on it, which is the Seder is not Ma'akev. As much as we have a Seder, Kriya, Chalitza, Rikika, Kriya, ultimately, again, if you break ranks with the biblically established order, your Chalitza is still valid. Incredible. And I will say that is why if a woman shows up in Basin and the first thing she does is what? She spits. Ultimately, number one, what have we established? Spitting is affected. I will say number one, once she does that, door to Yibum is shut. Not only that, that spitting counts as the spitting of Chalitza, even though it was done out of order. Incredible. It was an interesting story here. Levi, Nafik Likiriasa. Levi went out to one of the, to one of the villages, Baumine, and they were asking Levi, they were asking Levi a series of questions. A series of questions. Here are the questions I will say. So I will say it, it's interesting over here. So the Marsha comments on the Skimara and he brings down two possibilities. Possibility one is that Levi was a Stalin residence. 
Skull residence. But I will say, but I post like a skull residence today where somebody comes to a community, you know, to, to give a drasha, to inspire. There, their skull residence was there to answer Shilas, especially in the villages where they didn't necessarily have uh, a rav there in town. So maybe the skull residence would come, you'd ask him all of your Shilas, and you'd go ahead and he'd answer them. Second Basil the Marashah says, is that Levi was, was a Prabha. He went for a job, a job interview, right? He comes to, well, what, was the, what was the job interview? Ask the rabbi. Ask the rabbi. Terrible idea to do on a job interview, by the way, right? right? From experience, right? So the Gemara says as follows. So listen to this. So Levi Nafak Lekiryasa, Barmine. They asked me the following question. Gidemes Malshatachos. I both say this is fascinating. Gidemes is an amputee. In this case, it's a double amputee. A woman who has no arms, a woman who has no arms, can she go ahead and do chalitza? How can she do chalitza? Rashi says, Maushatachlots, Bishineha. Can she do chalitza by removing the Yavam's shoe with her teeth? With her teeth, with her mouth. So she doesn't have arms. So is there such a concept of chalitza by removal of the shoe with her mouth? Says the Gemara. Next, next. That was the first question they asked him. Poor lady, right? The problem they ask him, Yavamas, right? Yavamas. So the Yavamas says, Yavamas We'll say, what happens if when the Yavamas split, spits? She spits blood. She spits blood. What's the halacha? Mahu. Mahu. So we'll say, does that, does that suffice ultimately again as a rikika? Last question. We'll say, now they ask them an agarita. An agarita. So which, to which the Gemara says, quotes over here the Pasik. The Pasik from Daniel. So ultimately, again, the Malach tells Daniel, I will tell you what is written, what is written as Harashum, Biksav Emes. In other words, I will tell you the truthful item that is written in the ledger of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Okay. Rashi says over here, Aval Agilacha, Mikrahu Daniel, Shamalach Amarlo, Agilacha Eskola Nigzar Bashamayim. So the Malach was telling Daniel, I will tell you everything that is decreed in the heavens. Virashum Biksav. And Hashem has written down, Vuhu Emes. And it is truth. It is truth. To what do they ask him? What do they ask him? So Michlal Ksav MS. So they said to Daniel, I'm sorry, they said to Levi, here's the problem with the Pasik. The Malach is telling Daniel, I'll tell you that which is written down in truth. Which of us says sounds like what? That there are things that are written down that are what? That are what? That are not truthful. Right? Other things, other things that are written down in Shrine that are not truthful. So I will say, listen to this. Levi was unable to answer. Any of the questions? Any of the questions? So I will say three questions. Question number one. Question number one. If a woman is a double amputee, no arms, could she do chalitza with her mouth? Question number two. If she spits blood, is that a proper rikika? Question number three. And I got it to question. What does it mean when it says what, what, what is sealed in truth? Are there things that are not truthful written in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu? So Levi has no answers. To which the Gemara says, also shall be midrasha. So it's actually quite beautiful. So what does Levi do? He goes to ask. See, I will say, the, the, at, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, Levi's an ish MS. He's a man of truth. Okay, I couldn't answer. Kind of embarrassing, right? I couldn't answer any of the questions. A very humbling experience. But Lamaisa, what's the answer? What's the answer? So he goes to base Medrash. Amrulay, miksiv chaltzabiyad. So first of all, the, the question number one, could a woman do chalisa with her mouth? And the answer is, Yes. Why? 
Does the Pasik say Vachalsa biyad? Does the Pasik say she has to remove with her hand? What does the Pasik say? Vachalsa. She has to remove. So obviously if she has arms, she has hands, that's how she does it. But Lamaisa, if she doesn't, she can remove it with her teeth as well. Next. Viyarka. I'm sorry. Vachalsa. Umiksiv. I'm sorry. Miksiv Vachalsa biyad. Umiksiv Viyarka rok. Furthermore, does it say she has to spit saliva? What does it say? Viyarka. She has to what? Spit. Shabbos says, sounds like if she spits blood. Ultimately, again, it's proper chalitza. Aval agilach, Shabbos says, that question number one works even if she says chalitza by mouth. Question number two works even if she spits blood. What about question number three? Aval agilach, Sarashim, Miksav, MS. Vichiyesh, Ksav, Sheino, MS. What do you do with the Pasuk that says, the Malach says to Daniel, I will tell you that which is written before God. In truth, Makes it sound like there are things that are written that are not true to all of our Kaddish Baruch Hu. Rabbi said, listen to this. Lokasha, kan big zardin sheishmo shvua, kan big zardin sheishmo shvua. Rabbi said, beautiful Gimara. I will say, sometimes Hashem writes a decree and he swears to uphold the decree. And sometimes, or judgment, and sometimes Hashem goes ahead and writes a judgment or a decree and it's not accompanied by a shvua, by an oath. When it's not accompanied by an oath, it could be reversed. When it, that's what it means. When it, when it, let me work backwards. When it's like when the divine decree is accompanied by an oath, it's irreversible. That's the MS. That's the MS. But ultimately, again, sometimes when the divine decree, right, or the divine when the divine decree is written without an oath, without a shvua, then what? It is reversible. It is reversible. To which the say first of the right first the intermediate wide lines. gives a decree and he swears to uphold the decree that that decree is irreversible. It cannot be torn up. It's a very tragic Yimara. Eli, who was the Kohen Gadol at the, in the beginning of Shmuel Aleph. Eli's sons, Chafni and Pinchas, abused their positions, and Eli did nothing to stop them. As a result of Eli's failure to go ahead and properly be Mechanech and reign in his children, ultimately the house of, there is a curse visited upon the house of Eli. What's the curse? That every male member of the house of Eli will die young. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I swear, I swear that the house of Eli will be punished and they will be unable to overturn this punishment. They will not achieve atonement through a zevach or a mincha forever. Forever. Amur Rabbi says, by the way, the house of Eli cannot achieve atonement through carbonic means. But I will say, this is so beautiful. First wide line, first of the widest lines on Kofi and Aleph. It's true, the house of Eli cannot achieve atonement through any type of sacrificial means. But the house of Eli has the ability to achieve atonement through Torah. So the Gemara says, The Pasuk is very explicit. The Pasuk says, Hashem gives a Shavua that the house of Eli will not be able to escape punishment. But it says they will never be able to achieve atonement through a zevach or a mincha, through carbonic means. But the Gemara says, Abayi says, or I should say, Rabbah says, through carbonos don't work. Torah will help them achieve atonement. Abayi says, zevach or mincha won't work. But chesed 
will achieve atonement. So the Gemara says, Rabba and Abaye, say this is incredible. Rabba and Abaye were both descendants of the house of Eli. Wow. So I will say, Rabbi and Abaye, do you hear this? Do you hear this? So Rabbi and Abaye were both descendants of the house of Eli. So they knew this decree. They knew the decree, the Shavuah, upon the male members of the house of Eli, an irreversible Shavuah, that the members of the house of Eli die early, and there is no atonement, no sacrificial atonement. Now I will say, watch this. Rabbi, da'asik b'torah, chai arbon shnin. Rabbi who learned Torah, ultimately, again, lived to the age of 40. I will say 40 was 22 years older than the rest of Eli. They died by 18, right? Ultimately, so 22 years of life he was given because of the schos of Torah. Abaye, da'asik b'torah g'bilos chasadim. Abaye, who learned and did chasad, chayin shisin lived till the age of 60. Lived till the age of 60. I will say, how incredibly powerful is this? I will say, for, first of all, I will say, I just want to point something out. Isn't it incredible? I will say, if you were, if before learning this, if somebody were to ask you, Rabbi, how old did Rabbi live until? How old, how old did Abai live until? I will say, you would have thought to yourself, Rabbi, I don't know, he must have been a very old man. Look how accomplished he was, 40. 40. 40 years old. I will say, by the age of 40, most of us are still finding ourselves, whatever that means. I will say, it's an incredible, incredible thing how the need to maximize the days we have on this earth, because the truth is no one knows the longevity or lack thereof they're going to be given. None of us know. Jose, there's no time to find myself. Find whatever it is you're looking for. Find it already, right? Because Lemais, again, literally, we don't. Can you imagine if Rabbi took the life trajectory that the, most of us take, which is we just often seem to squander time doing not that much, what the world would have missed out on not having a Rabbi. Even a Baye 60. What's it today? 60 is young, Baruch Hashem. Right? Look what these men accomplished in such short lifetimes. Absolutely incredible. But I will say, that's lesson number one. Lesson number one, I will say, sometimes you see, by the way, Rabbi Nachman, right? Rabbi Nachman dies before the age of 40. Rabbi Chal died before the age of 40. I will say, these were all people who maximized every single day. When you maximize every single day, you don't have to be afraid of dying young. You know who's afraid of dying young? People who don't maximize life. Because then I leave this world before ever getting to do the things that I needed to do. But if you're a person who maximizes every single day, then whatever age Yaakov who takes me at, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. That's lesson number one. Lesson number one, say, what do you see? The power of Torah and the power of Chesed. Kadesh Baruch Hu makes a Shavuah. He swears in a reversible oath. The members of the house of Eli are going to die young. And when Hashem makes an oath accompanied, I'm sorry, when Hashem makes a decree accompanied by a Shavuah, it is irreversible, irrevocable. But the power of Torah, the power of Torah is to add years onto your life even when there is a Shavuah working against you. The power of Chesed is to add years onto your life even when there is a Shavuah working against you. Absolutely, overwhelmingly amazing. Listen to this. There was a particular family in Yerushalayim and the male members of the family were, were dying. They all died. Before the age of 18. He came to Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai and they said, Rabbi, what's going on over here? 
Shemal Mishpachas Eliatem, Shnemar Vachomar Bis Peschoya Muswanoshim. So we'll say, Rabbi Yochanan Zach, listen, is it possible that your descendants of the house of Eli? And maybe that's why all the male members of the household are dying young. So I'll give you an eight. Go learn Torah and you'll increase your longevity. Sure enough, they learned Torah and Baruch Hashem they lived. How long did they live for again? The Gemara doesn't say, but they stopped dying at 18. They changed their last name. Right? They changed their last name. What did they change their last name to? Yochanan. Out of, out of covet, out of deference to Rabbi Yochanan and Zechariah, I will say, by the way, I'll just point out over here, here you also see an interesting raya too, the custom of li- naming after living people. Right? By Ashkenazim, this is very taboo, right? Naming after living people, right? But Lamaisa, again, it's very interesting. You see over here, they, they took on the last name of Rebbe They renamed their family Yochanan out of deference to Rabbi Yochanan ben Zaka. Incredible. Amr Shobar Yor, Amr Shobar Unyo, Amr Rav. Both say beautiful Gimara. Minayin l'gzardin shal tzibar sheinon nechtam. How do you know that when Hashem passes a decree upon the tzibar, that that decree is not sealed? Eino nechtam, it's not sealed. V'hoksiv, ki imtichab tzibar neser v'tiri l'chaboris, nechtam avonech l'fanai. But yet the Pasuk says, even if you will try to cleanse your clothing, ultimately, again, your sins are sealed before me. Which sounds like a Kaddish Baruch who does seal the judgment of the Tzibor. How do I know that even if Hashem sealed the judgment of the Tzibor, the Tzibor's judgment is always reversible. Isn't this incredible? The Tzibor, it could be that for an individual... Once Hashem seals your judgment, especially if it's accompanied by a shvua, that is irreversible. But when Hashem seals the judgment for the tzibor, even if He sealed the judgment, the judgment is still reversible. How do we know that? Who is like Hashem, our God, whenever we cry out to Him? I so we'll say, so listen to this. Now we'll say what that what that means is what that means is whenever we cry out to Hashem, we have the ability to affect change. It's the plural. who is like Hashem, our God, Whenever we call out to Him, we have the ability to affect change simply by calling out. That shows you that shows you that even if there is a gzera that is sealed by the tzibur, the tzibur has the ability to overturn it. I have Hashem I, but the Pasuk says, call out to Hashem when he allows himself to be found, which I will say, when he makes himself present, which sounds like what? There are times that Hashem makes himself present and times that he's not present. So I eat times that I can overturn because there are times that I can't. To which I will say, when I talking about a Yachid, I will say, listen to this. It is an incredible construct. The Tzibor always has the ability to access Hashem. Right? And the tzibor always has the ability to overturn gzeros. That is the gift that is given to the tzibor. A yochid, an individual abosai, has times that are more auspicious and times that are less auspicious. Times in which a yochid, an individual, can overturn a and times when he can't. What are the auspicious times for a yochid? So yochid emas, amrav nachem, amrav aravua, elu asara yamim, shebein rashashanam yom kippurim. They will say, what is the time that is most auspicious for a yachid? Aser simit The times between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, 
That is a time when Hashem makes Himself available to us, and even the Yachid has the ability to overturn Xera. So say, you see something amazing. You see something amazing. A Yachid, a Yachid, it sounds like over here, that by an individual, if there is a decree from Hashem, and the decree is sealed and accompanied by a Shavua, it's irreversible. Except when, except when, between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, then a Yachid has the ability to affect change. That's Yachid Rabosai. A Tzibor, when does a Tzibor have the ability to affect change? Right, when? Anytime. Even by a Tzibor, even if the Gzeira ultimately again has been signed, sealed, accompanied by a Shavua, the Tzibor always has the ability to overturn it, which Rabosai heightens our incredible sensitivity and appreciation to Tzvila B'Tzibor, davening with a minion, being part of a minion, because we are able to account what we are able to accomplish as part of a collective profoundly overshadows anything we could do as an individual. An overwhelming and incredible yesod of the power of what it means to daven as a tzibor, to learn as a tzibor, to be part of a tzibor. Incredible. So the dam. going back a little bit. If the yavama spit blood. So I'll say, based on what we said before, based on right when Levi inquired about this, what's the halacha if the Yavama spits blood? What's the halacha? It works. It works. So the Gemara says, Shachol Yavod Shmuel. Laavod Shmuel. Yavama Shirach Kadam. Tachlots. Lefishi Esher Ladam. Belotzich Tzuch Rok. Now, it's interesting. Why does it work if the Yavama spits blood? Why? Because Lamai say again, there's no such thing as spitting blood without what? Some saliva mixed in. Some saliva mixed in. I may say, is that true? Yachol Yehei Dama Yotzimi Piv. Umipia Amatame. The Rabbis is interesting. Zav. By a Zav, Rabbi, say that locha is that the spit of a Zav, right, the saliva of a Zav is mitame. We have both say, interestingly enough, the dam of a Zav does not necessarily convey the same level of tumah. So, yachol yehei dama yotzi mi piv. What if blood comes out of the mouth of the Zav? Or mi pia ama from the makomila? You might have thought it would be tame. Talmud lomar, zovo tame, vein dam hayotzi mi piv, umi pia ama tame. It is only either the emission of a Zav. Or the saliva of a zav that is tame, but the blood that comes out is not tame. So I will say now, if it's true, if it's true that wherever there's blood that comes out of the mouth, there's also always saliva. Then what? Then the blood that comes out of the mouth of the zav should also be tame. To which the Gemara says, "Lokasha kan b'motzetzes, kan b'shoses." Now I will say, so interestingly enough, one is by motzetzes. Motzetzes means like we will say, you know, like when you make like a sucking. Um, not motion, what's the word? Um, you know, like when you're, you know, like a, like a sucking, like a sucking process in the mouth. So if, she's, if, so if you suck out the blood, by definition, by su- no, sucking out the blood from within her mouth, by definition, then there's saliva mixed in, as opposed to blood just dripping out. So if blood just drips out, it could be just blood, ultimately, again, without saliva. But if, when there's a sucking motion, by definition, there's going to be saliva. So since she's actively spitting, by definition, that usually requires some level of a sucking motion. And therefore, again, by definition, there always will be saliva in that. Incredible. So we'll say, so remember, again, we had in the Mishnah, we had in the Mishnah, remember, again, if the cherish, if the man, right, what did the Mishnah say? The Mishnah said, um, right. The Mishnah said, Right, so we'll say, 
Right? So we'll say, so in this case, if you did a chayre shechal, that's ultimately, again, the chalitz will be possible. We'll say, kuf hamidays, 105b, says the Gemara, Omer, Rav Yehuda, Omer Rav, Sudiv Rabbi Meir. These are the words of Rabbi Meir. So ultimately, again, I remember, this is talking about over here specifically, if she did chalitza to a katan, chalitza sa psula. And I remember again, whenever we see chalitza sa psula, so remember again, we, we've been conditioned to learn now, what does chalitza sa psula mean? The chalitza doesn't work, but what does it accomplish? It shuts the door on yibum. To which the Gemara says, these are the words of Rabbi Meir, but the Chachamim say that the Chalitza done to a Katan ultimately is what? Meaningless. It's like, it's, it's nothing. And therefore, to the point that what? Should she then change her mind and want to do Chalitza later on? I'm sorry, Yibum later on, it actually would work. Good. Kitana Shechalza. So I will say similarly again, the Mishnah said, Kitana Shechalza. If a kitana did chalitza, woman did chalitza, right? A girl, the girl is a kitana. They did chalitza with her. They should do chalitza with her again when she becomes an adult. But if not, the no chalitza chalitza sapsula. To which the Yomar Sarmav Yehud Amarav, once again, Zudiv Rabbi Meir. These are the words of Rabbi Meir. The Amar, Ish Kasav Beparsha. Because the Pasik says, right? By chalitza and Ish, which means an adult man. Umakshinan Isha Ish. And we compare what? We compared the man to the woman in the case of Chalitza, which teaches us what? Just like the man has to be a gadol, so to the Isha, the right the Isha has to be a gidola. The was very interesting. The only person who has to be an adult in the Chalitza process, Rabbi say is who? Is the man. However, Isha, ben gidola, ben kitana. Rabbi say interestingly enough, the woman in question, the widow, whether she is an adult or a minor, Ultimately, again, Chalitza will work with her. Says the Gemara. Man Chacham, who are the Chacham? Rabbi Yossi, it's Rabbi Yossi. We'll say, where do we see this? Watch this. It's incredible. So the Gemara says, Rabbi Chiev, Rabbi Shimon, Bar Rabbi, Havu Yosvi Pesach. Chad Minayo. So let's listen to this. Rabbi Chiev, Rabbi Shimon, Bar Rabbi, were sitting by the entrance of one of their homes, Va'amar, and they said as follows. We'll say, this is a beautiful Gemara. Hamispalel, Sarak Sheyitin, Enov Lamata. So I'll say when you're davening, your eyes have to be downward. We'll see what this means. Because we'll say the Gemara quotes the Pasik. Quotes the Pasik from Malachim. From Malachim. Literally again, my eyes and my heart will be there all the days. The Chadamar of Lamala. So I'll say, wait, where you daven, when you daven. Where should your eyes be pointed? So one said, Enov Lamata, your eyes should be cast below. Now both say, now what does that mean? Take a look at Rashi. Enov Lamata, Klape Eretz Yisrael, Mishum da Hasam, Mishum da Shechina, Hasam Kaima Kedichsevai, you ain't I believe Yisham. So let's listen to this. One opinion said, when you daven, your eyes should be below. Now looking downward in this case means your eyes should be directed towards Eretz Yisrael. The other opinion said, No, your eyes shouldn't be looking towards Eretz Yisrael. I'll say, where should your eyes be directed? Upward. Upward. I'll say, what a profound machlokas. came to them. What are you guys learning? They said, oh, we're learning about davening. Amr lehu, kach amr abba. This is what Abba said. 
Wow. Rabbi say, what should you do when you're davening? Your eyes should be downward. And by the way, downward in this context means what? Your eyes should be facing Eretz Yisrael. Ultimately, again, but your heart, your heart, but your heart should be, so to speak, facing upward. In order to be able to fulfill both psukim. So I will say, who's right? Who's right? They're both right. My eyes focused towards Eretz Yisrael. Ultimately, again, my heart, my heart focused to Shamayim. I will say, by the way, there's two, there's two profound lessons in this. First of all, my, eye, my eyes focused on Eretz Yisrael. I will say, what does that mean? I will say, at the end of the day, every single Jew has to set his physical sights on Eretz Yisrael. See, I will say, whether we have imminent plans or not so imminent plans, there's only one place in this world that I have to end up in, and that's Eretz Yisrael. Like Rabbi Nachman writes, Wherever I'm going in life, in one way or another, I'm going towards Eretz Yisrael. So I will say, my sight, again, whether I have imminent plans for Aliyah, don't have imminent plans for Aliyah, at the end of the day, the eyes of the Jew are only set in one direction, which is to Eretz Yisrael. Just like my heart is only set in one direction, which is to what? Which is to what? Towards HaKadosh Baruch Hu. My eyes take me towards Eretz Yisrael. My heart takes me to the Ribbono Shel Olam. That is the constant and perpetual orientation of the Jew. I think there's also another idea with this. The eyes being directed towards the Aretz and the heart being directed towards Shamayim also teaches me another important lesson in life. In life, a person has to have their eyes set on the earth, which means you have to have a plan to take care of your material needs. Right? A person can't live life divorced of the material world. Can't say, I, I don't worry about the material. I don't worry about Gashmius. I don't worry about Parnassah. It doesn't work that way. Your eyes have to be set in the earth. But I will say the problem is, if all that happens is that your eyes are set in the earth, what, a, what, a, what an empty existence. So while my eyes are trained on the earth because I have to have a plan to take care of my physical needs. Where, am I, where is my heart? Where is my heart? My heart is to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. My heart is always growing. My heart is always coming closer to Hashem. So whereas my eyes are focused on taking care of the Gashmi, my heart is perpetually focused on growing in the Ruchni. And this is a synergistic partnership between my eyes, the Guf, and my heart and my neshama, my lave. A constant synergistic partnership between the material and the spiritual, growing in both directions. So whether it's that my eyes are focused on me getting to Eretz Yisrael, and my heart is focused on getting closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, or my eyes are focused on ultimately taking care of my material needs, and my heart is constantly focused on spiritual growth, this is the synergistic partnership in this duality of the Jew. Incredible. While all of this is happening, Rebbe shows up in the yeshiva. This was an interesting story. So what happens? So say, these Rabbanim who went to their seats, went to their seats. What happens? Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Yossi is there. He was a very heavy man. Heavy man. Physically, very heavy man. Agov Yukre have a mifsavel. So here's the image. Rebbe comes to yeshiva. Everybody runs to their seat. Everybody runs to their seat. Rebbe Shabbiosi was heavy, and therefore, again, it took him a little while to get to his seat. 
Now the problem was everybody was already seated and he's still making his way in. Amr Avdon. So Avdon, who was one of the students of Rebbe, said to Rebbe Shabriosi, Who is this one who's trampling on the heads of Klal Yisrael? Now I will say, why is he trembling on the heads? Remember again, where did they sit during Shir? Where did they sit? They sat on the floor. So Rebbe is still walking in. So I will say, everybody else is seated on the floor. He's still walking in. It looks like what? It looks like he's walking on top of them. Amrali, Ani Rabbi I, it's me. It's, I'm sorry. It's me, Rabbi And I'm here to, again, I'm not, I don't mean to be disrespectful. It's just taking me some time to get to my seat. And again, I'm here to learn from Rabbi. Amrali, Vichi Atahagon Torah Rabbi. So I say, now it gets sharp. It gets a little intense. Avdon says to Rabbi do you think that you're worthy of learning Torah of Rabbi? You think you're worthy to be here? Was Moshe Rabbeinu worthy of learning Torah from Hashem? No, but it still happened. Right? Are you Moshe Rabbeinu? Right? I knew, right? Are you, what, what, what was the Lushen in the, in the primary, right? I knew Kennedy, you know Kennedy, right? right so, so, so ultimately, again, right? Are you, are you, are you Moshe Rabbeinu? Amrali, v'chi rabcha elokimi. Is Rebbe, is Rebbe HaKadosh Baruch Hu? So say, it's a strange exchange, which we'll get to in a little bit. Amrav Yosef, Shakle Rebbe Lemitrothay. So I will say, Rebbe was held accountable, accountable. He heard this exchange. He heard this exchange. And I will say specifically that Avdon called Rebbe, Avdon called Rebbe, Rebbe Shmo Rebbe Yossi. Avdon called Rebbe, Rebbe Shmo Rebbe Yossi's Rebbe. And I will say, we're going to see in tomorrow's daf, that Lamaisa, Rabbi Shalab Yossi, to a certain degree, was greater than Rebbe. And Rebbe heard himself referred to as Rabbi Shalab Rabbi Yossi's Rebbe, and he didn't object. Rebbe should have, first of all, Rebbe should have stepped in over here in order, just in general, to defuse this situation. But more specifically, when Rebbe heard himself being referred to as Rabbi Shalab Yossi's Rebbe, he should have stepped in and said, no, 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 Rabbi Shalab Yossi is greater than me. So Rebbe is held accountable for the fact that he did not step in. So the Gemara says, Follow Rabbi. Follow Rabbi. So we'll see. No, we'll stop over here for today. We'll pick up. We'll say with this incredible story. Mir Hashem tomorrow. Shkoyach. Humility. Absolutely.